Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, good riddance to New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, and hello, Barbara Underwood. A rundown of some abortion restriction shenanigans happening all over the world, first in my home state of Iowa, then in Ireland, where an important abortion referendum is happening on May 25th plus some new studies about women trying to access abortion, both here and in Ireland. And finally, to lighten things up, we have some picks for the culture stuff that is making us happy this week, including the web series Bad Ally, the Notorious RBG documentary, and Naomi Alderman's novel, The Power. Hey, girl. Hi. <laughs> I love that in my head I think I'm a person who does not say, hey, girl. And apparently I am. I That's mean, weird. I don't know how to tell you this as someone who's been greeted by you for a long time. <laughs> it is, I know. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> my, It's not my story of self. <laughs> it's true, though. I feel our friendship began in, a, in an era of more hey girl haze um, than are than are currently acceptable or floating around. <laughs> you know, it's it's good to be humbled every once in a while. What oh you believe God. about yourself is not always true. Totally. There's so much going on. Everything is trash fire. It's funny, too, because like, you know, we try to take weeks off where we're just like, let's talk about other things that we care about. And then you're reminded that we're in the simmering like trash fire every day and you have to like constantly be vigilant. I'm thinking about that horrific story about Eric Schneiderman, the former attorney general of New York. A position that has been like much tainted. It's just like, it just so happens that all the men that hold this office are like garbage. But the thing about Eric Schneiderman that is really notable is that he has been taking up a lot of space recently as like a man who is like a huge feminist ally. He has been like celebrated by feminist groups around the country. He has done like really good work in the service of women. And and it turns out that he is like a v- abusive monster. The New Yorker story about from Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow about him was I had to like lay down on the floor after reading it. It was really awful. Like this story has shaken me actually. Like this is this is one of the ones that has really rattled me because it's such a reminder of when there is only one man in a room full of women, like how much space is he really taking and what is he doing and what and what is all of this hiding? So to back up, if you have not heard his name before, he had made a lot of headlines in the wake of a lot of the information about Harvey Weinstein coming out because he has the authority to take some kinds of legal action against him, like in his position as attorney general. And so he was outspoken about using the power of that office to support women who had come forward and said, me too. And so, yeah, like hearing this about someone who is not just like, saying kind of empty platitude ally things, but is actually like doing work to, I mean, it is both true that he has done work that has supported the Me Too movement and he has abused women. Like those things are both true. 
But yeah. also, like, his whole life has been, like, a huge supporter of abortion rights. He has the reputation of, like, being the male feminist that you go to. He was an abortion escort, you know, like, mm-hmm. as like as a 20-something-year-old. Like, all of that kind of stuff. The people that you're supposed to trust, essentially, that you're in this fight with for the right reason. It's just been really depressing to read to read about him and also to think about the position that the attorney general's office has when it comes to really holding the Trump administration accountable and how that has been squandered. Whenever like all these men in politics are accused of this stuff, the first people I think about are their staff members, people who do not get paid a lot of money, who are very idealistic, who take on this work because they believe in their bosses and they believe in the causes like their jobs are always in jeopardy, right? But also thinking about all of the ways that they have been made complicit in all of this bullshit that their bosses are doing. Right, and And how their good work is undermined too. Right, and it's like, hi, this is like one of, this is supposed to be like, you know, somebody who's supposed to wield the power of the law to protect us. And it turns out that he's been hiding behind the law to abuse women. Yeah. Ugh. What I always come back to with this stuff is like, the temptation, especially now that we know publicly more than ever about like specific men's bad behavior toward women, the temptation to be like, okay, there are, there's one category of person who's a monster who does things like this. And then there's another category of person who's like a good person or like a good ally or a good feminist or whatever, who doesn't do these things. And it's just like, the world is more complicated than than that. And like, yep. it's stories like this. It's stories like the Aziz Ansari story comes to mind or even like Al Franken, the people who have done things or created work that is not 100% awful, that that like force, uh, force a more complex conversation about private behavior, public positions, like what is allyship? And like, and for me, I'm like, like this just underscores that fact. Like there is no such thing as like a, gold stamp good person and there's no such thing as like a write them off monster who's 100% bad and only does bad things you know what I mean like this like the truth is like everyone is infected by like the horrible things that allow men to do this I think I agree with you I also the thing for me that it really brings to mind also is that all of the ways that we celebrate people in power are so broken right and so part of the reason that like this Eric Schneiderman's things stings so much is that we have like you know as a society like heralded him as the gold standard of ally and it's like actually like stop making heroes where we don't need heroes we just need people to do the right thing and we don't need to like throw dinners for them hold them up to this like impossible pedestal or whatever it's like no no like you shouldn't get a pat on the back for being a decent human being but that's the era that we're living in now People will do the bare minimum and we will all bend over to say like how wonderful they are. And the truth is that like you don't know. You like truly do not know. Uh, trust nobody and and hold people to a higher standard. The other thing about this story, I think the, the Shinerman story that has me like particularly depressed is how a lot of the women who spoke out in the story were so aware that calling him out would hurt like a lefty cause you know Mm -hmm. and and the burden of that that a lot of liberal women carry is it's like it's very upsetting to me I think about the Al Franken story all the time and there are a lot of people who are angry that Al Franken isn't here anymore and it is 100% going to be used to punish the women 
in Congress, like whichever woman in Congress like runs for office in 2020 is going to like bear the brunt of having pushed out Al Franken. And the truth is that it is untenable to have bad men work alongside like women who are just trying to do the right thing. I really hope that like for a lot of liberal women, instead of feeling this like, oh my God, if we like get these guys out, like this is bad for the cause is really thinking like, no, we have to clean our own house before we can go after anybody else's house. It's really hard to have the president that we have, who is somebody who is also accused of like multiple sexual abuses and all sorts of monstrous stuff, like have him there and know that like in our own house, there are people who do the exact same thing. And it is going to be hard and we are going to face backlash for it. But I sleep better at night knowing that we don't tolerate that behavior from like our own, from the men that are supposed to be close to us. Yeah, I mean, and there is something, too, about to what you were saying earlier about not venerating people. Like, just be specific. I think it is still okay to say in this narrow way, like, just in the confines of, like, his role as attorney general and, like, with his staff there, like, i.e., like, not making it all about him, these are the things that that office was able to do to support women who had come forward about Harvey Weinstein. That's like a very specific type of praise, as opposed to being like, this guy is the best. We love everything he's ever done for us, you know? And I right. think that, like, like that's this is something- a man everybody should have in their lives. And it's like, no, no, like way to use your office of attorney general to do specifically good things that benefit all of us, which are your job to do. <laughs> right. And so like, I would, I would sort of say like to a, to a more specific point about, not venerating people. I actually think it is important to point out offices, groups of people and individuals who are like finding ways to hold the system accountable or do good things. Like I don't want to see that go away. I think like everyone needs models, like people who are doing this work do need hope. They need places to sort of positively invest. I mean, I think all the time, the issues that I feel the most despair about are the ones that I can't figure out what to be for, right? Like, like there are issues where I'm like, I can only think of what I am against here. I can't think of like a reform that would fix this that I can support, or I can't find a person who's doing incredible advocacy work where I can put some money and, and support and momentum. Like for me, it's like those examples are important. Like the thing is though, not venerating the people, like not right. being like, or at least not yeah. venerating the leaders, right? It's like we already talked about like Eric Schneiderman's staff that is probably amazing and they do all the work and you we can't name any of them, you know? Right. But like here is this guy who gets to like have all of the awards and trophies. And I don't say this because he's just a man. I just think that we defer to power and celebrity too much and we refuse to believe that people don't do these things alone. Like sure, Eric Schneiderman might have, he has some like outspoken politics that match up very well with feminist politics but the truth is that he doesn't do this work alone and he doesn't have that vision alone and we never celebrate like leaders and the people who put them there we're always just like here's this person here's this person so all i'm saying is that individual hero worship is broken (laughs) and it's literally how we get burned every single time so like literally all your heroes have a ghostwriter like every single exactly like all your heroes are bad like get new heroes (laughs) like trust it's just, yeah. that is just a way, you know, it's it's how I feel strongly that like none of my heroes should join Twitter and every time they do, it's a problem. Uh, you just, you don't, you don't know what you don't know and you should really rethink how you celebrate things that you care about, you know, and causes that you care about. Like one person cannot be the face of a cause. That is just like fundamentally problematic and 
it's how we get burned in all sorts of like activist hero worship. Right. Uh, but the one thing that is, you know, like, I don't know, like maybe good about um, the fallout of this particular conundrum is that there are a lot of women who are taking over for Eric Schneiderman, like women who have been like accomplished lawyers, who've been like working really hard. And, uh, you know, in New York, we're like, we're excited because we're finally getting our first female attorney general, Barbara Underwood. That's exciting. Woo, and yeah, she comes across as a total badass. But more importantly, she's like surrounded by other really cool women. Um, we're going to link in the show notes to this Cosmo article, Cosmo, LOL, that like outlines who they all are, you know, but it's also not lost on me that like women gain power when like men fuck up. And yeah because some, the world is like who is good at cleaning up men's messes right like who's <laughs> gonna come with a mop and like fix all of this women you know but the the, the fe- my fear in all of this is like this is honestly like this is how the backlash brews people will say that they didn't earn it and they didn't whatever which is all bullshit by the way it's like no the reason like barbara underwood wasn't eric schneiderman is because eric schneiderman sucked up all the energy in the room welcome to life the thing that has been really heartening is that whenever one of these men fall there are literally like 10 women like at the ready to do the job and do it just as well if not better but it is highly annoying to have us like go through the ranks because literally men are self-exposing their careers (laughs) self-detonating self-detonating that's the word (laughs) self-exposing lol yeah totally so and and yeah i mean like look i would rather like the backlash is coming no matter what and i would argue in some ways it's already here particularly when you look at the response to we are the backlash (laughs) and listen listen the yeah the backlash is lashing in in real time But yeah, when when you when you think about it, it's like, okay, like this is how women have historically gotten into office, right? Their husbands have died in plane crashes and then they've like gotten appointed or like right. you know what or I they mean? Like, like it's crashed in like ski ski vacations and like all sorts of nonsense. Right. Like more more literally taking themselves out of the game as opposed to as opposed to like with their bad behavior. But anyway, I'm like, you know what? Like there are always gonna be people who say she didn't earn it. There are always going to be people who are bitter about like the way this kind of change goes about. And also, I feel like we need a word that is like something akin to the glass ceiling for the challenges that women face when they're put into a position after a man who has like screwed everything up, right? Like when women are in like a cleanup crew promotion situation. I think um, there is a word for that. I, maybe there is. Like I'm sure people study this. I just have never, I've never heard something like short and snappy to describe that kind of like being, not being set up to fail exactly, but like, you know, being only achieving your position. Right. It's like the janitorial of position. of a failure of a man. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It's like, Yes, it's like the janitorial step up or something like that. Oh I don't my know. God. But, okay, somebody yeah. make up this word so that you can be the Tom Wolf of this generation. Or you know what? You're probably a researcher. The Probably the researcher who studies this is listening and is like, oh my God, I've written 10 papers on this word. How do they not know it? <laughs> yes, please tell us the word. Please send us an email. Yeah. Creep He's a creep.
Well, I'm just back from many days in my home state of Iowa. Your Instagram stories have been inspirational. Love it. <laughs> I'm there like working on a project and also like tacking on seeing some family. But um, I'm there right after the state legislature passed what they have been calling a heartbeat bill, which is actually a total abortion ban. They always make up these Cute warm... Cute name, though. Yeah. Cute name, though. <laughs> I know. Like, warm, fuzzy names. And it's like, you know, like, many parts of this country driving around, you see those ads that are usually, like, completely sun-weathered, six-month-old babies, where it's like, every life is precious. And, like, these are in states that have chronically defunded, like, social programs for born people. Um, and born people, (laughs) people who have been born. Yeah. And like, that's like the kind of thing, like watching some of the footage of the state legislature arguing about this bill, which PS is designed to provoke a challenge to Roe v. Wade. They're like, okay, like we know this is clearly not aligned with what the Supreme Court has ruled in Roe, which is to say that like, as soon as a fetal heartbeat can be detected, you are no longer allowed to make a choice about your body and you must carry that pregnancy to term is just designed to, okay, like maybe the composition of the Supreme Court by the time this gets there will be to a place where uh, the justices no longer care about bodily autonomy of people who get pregnant. My blood really began to boil when I watched this clip online of Representative Shannon Lundgren, who's a Republican from my home city of Dubuque, where she claimed that this bill will protect the, quote, most vulnerable Today, we are taking a courageous step with the help of so many here in the House to tell the nation that Iowa will defend its most vulnerable, those without a voice, our unborn children. And she also said this, I believe this legislation is important because we need to do everything in our power to encourage young women to come forward and tell people they've been raped so that we can bring that perpetrator to justice. As if outright banning abortion and taking away all women's choices is going to somehow encourage them to trust the state and come forward and tell them about the fact that they require medical attention. If you were really interested in protecting the most vulnerable, you would be increasing funding for Head Start. You would be pouring money into food stamps. You would be increasing like the state's children's health insurance plan. You would be doing things that like will actually help born vulnerable people during the lives that they spend like living in the state of Iowa. Yeah, you know, living in this Handmaid's Tale 2.0 era is, it's just like hard to keep up because they come at you from every single place. Oh, my God. And speaking of The Handmaids, there is a T-shirt manufacturer in Iowa called Raygun that has been making shirts uh, post-abortion ban that say, under his Iowa. (laughs) 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 Which is just like... I love resistance puns. Like, thank you. I got to say that, like, you know, coming from a vowel-heavy state, (laughs) that is, it is really, like, the best, the best use of... Of that. So anyway, every time I pass one of those like sun faded lying billboards about the like life fostering priorities of the legislature of that state, I just got like unspeakably angry. Unspeakably angry, honestly, is that's how I feel this week. So thanks for thanks for bringing that into focus. Oh, my God. There's so much going on. Everything is depressing again. All over again. 
The only transition I have for you is <laughs> under his Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> under his Ireland is so real right now. Um, uh, I want to read a letter from one of our Irish listeners. I've been listening to your show ever since my own personal long distance bestie. Love you, Anna. Put me onto it and I love it every week. I'm Irish and we have a very, 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 very important vote coming up on May 25. We have a referendum asking the people of Ireland whether they want to remove a provision from the Constitution commonly called the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment says that the unborn has an equal right to life as the pregnant person. This is effectively a constitutional ban on abortion, and we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to remove it and liberalize access to health care for women. I have been out on the streets campaigning for this for years, and now it's so close, but the polls are tightening. Would you do me and the women of Ireland a huge favor and shout out the referendum and remind any of your Irish listeners to vote on Friday, May 25th? Thank you again, Maggie. Okay, Irish listeners, May 25, you already know what to do. We have been following the Repeal the Eighth campaign on CYG since uh, since we started CYG, which BTW, it's our fourth birthday this Friday. Hello. Oh, um, four years old. <laughs> four, we're four years old. You know, we chose not to terminate, and this, there's been a lot of work go- that went into this, and I'm happy about it, but I would support... Any woman podcaster's decision to terminate her podcast if she chooses that that is the right thing for her. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, back to the very serious issue of repealing the Eighth Amendment in Ireland. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Make your vote count. Thank goodness Irish people are not as lazy about voting as we are over here. So it's a really, really, really big deal. And as this listener pointed out, some people have been working for it for a really, really long time, and they're about to see the fruit of their labor be either rewarded in a big way or crushingly taken away from them. And it, it is going to have outsized impact on generations of women to come all over Europe, frankly. It's true. And I want to shout out two pieces of reading that we will link to in the show notes. One of them is a study, a qualitative study, meaning like in-depth interviews with women in Ireland who have either traveled abroad to get an abortion in a clinic or have self-managed a medical abortion at home. And, you know, and like it's one of those things where it is just like an academic study, but it like brings up all sorts of stuff about like, you know, women feel desperate when they are trying to get a safe abortion. And like women with financial means can travel to make sure that they have Mm -hmm. a safe abortion. And like, just like the lived experience of what abortion restrictions do to people who have the potential to become pregnant, who are like living in that place. Um, I want to recommend that. The other thing that I think you've read this too, but um, Sally Rooney has uh, an article in the London Review of Books about kind of the backstory leading up to this referendum. And it's a pretty powerful case for repeal. Um, And I'm going to read like a little part of it here that puts some of it in perspective for me, which is that all the major political parties now advocate repeal of the amendment. Yet the outcome of the upcoming referendum looks uncertain with a substantial cohort remaining undecided. This indecision is probably connected to worries about the government's plans for reform. 
If the Eighth Amendment is repealed, the ruling party has pledged to introduce legal terminations up to 12 weeks gestation. In other words, abortion would be available not only in the so-called, quote, hard cases, which is, you know, like rape or fatal fetal abnormality, but also when a healthy woman in her first trimester decides she just doesn't want to be pregnant. Do women who are not victims of abuse or in mortal danger have the right to end a pregnancy just because they feel like it? Like, that is what is at stake here. And, like, that's the kind of thing where that is the true dividing line, right? Like, people who believe that women get to choose no matter what. <laughs> yep, basically. And she goes she goes on to write about how pregnancy... Um, you know, is an act of generosity, a commitment to share resources of life with another being. It's a sacrifice. I mean, Mother's Day just happened here in America. We know all of this, like, venerating language about pregnancy. I know. Pregnancy. People love to venerate a mother. They do not love to pay her for her labor. I mean, right. And just acknowledging, like, I, I, I really fail to understand how people can do that on one side and then also see it as compulsory. Like, if it's such a sacrifice... Um, why must it be compulsory? Like everything else, like she uses the analogy of like, you know, donating a kidney is also something that we see as a huge selfless act, an invasive gift of your own body. And yet we don't mandate that everyone who is able to give a kidney must, you know? Right, because the Catholic Church hasn't gotten into the kidney business yet. Don't you worry. The minute oh my God, they, someday. The minute they do, <laughs> under his Ireland, will take a new twist. Don't worry. It, and you know how there's like that famous quote, God, and maybe you maybe you can recall who said this and I can I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But like essentially for for someone who wants to have a child, like nothing will stop them. And for someone who doesn't want to have a child, nothing will stop them. Right. Like it's oh, like, oh, this is fascinating. I've never heard this before. Yeah, yes. it's like a classic. I'll, I'll look it up. But, you know, I was thinking about that because I was also reading an article this week a personal essay by a trans woman named Lara Americo who wrote about how she detransitioned in order to carry a child and become a mom. And I was thinking about that, like the the huge sacrifice that she's made in terms of her own body, you know, not just to carry a pregnancy, but to like detransition in order to do that and then to transition again after her child was born. I was just, I'm blown away by the level of sacrifice that this that this act requires and that there are people who believe it should not be a willing choice. Well, there you go. Women of Ireland, all people of Ireland, May 25, please make your make your vote count. So on that same tip, there's also a new study in The Lancet, which means big, important, verified, medically medical expert type study. I know, sent to <laughs> us by friend of the pod, Steph Harold. Thanks, Steph. Which is essentially about abortion deserts in America, which is to say places where you cannot access this exceedingly common and safe medical procedure. I can read this little, this thing about their approach, which is to say, while previous studies have examined the distances women must travel to reach an abortion provider, to our knowledge, no studies have used a systematic online search to document the geographic locations and services of abortion facilities. In other words, the lived experience, if you are a woman who is living in a place where you don't have a clinic just down the street, what do you have to go through in order to figure out where you can actually access the kind of medical care you want? Real, 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 real. Yeah, and the fewest such facilities when they did these online searches are available in the Midwest and the South. And more than 30% of them advertised medication abortion services only. So that would be like a pill where you 
take it, but like the actual abortion typically happens like in your own home. It's not like a um, a procedure you go into a clinic for typically. And also like it's worth noting, this is an article from March. Remember back when Mike Pence was like, who? A, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Remember, remember when Mike Pence was basically like, in the not-so-distant future, abortion will again be illegal in the United yes, States? Quote, yes. in our time. We definitely talked about the, that on the podcast. Some right. of the coverage after that pointed out that, like, yeah, like, as laws that, like, have decreased access to legal abortion have become more and more prevalent, like, you know, more than 300 of them since 2010 alone, uh, the Google searches for how do you self-induce an abortion have gone up and up and up. So, like, you know, it's one thing to kind of say this is what, like, people in Ireland are voting on, like, whether that should be the norm. But in some ways, it already is the norm in, like, vast regions of America. Truly. Also, under his eye, the him is Mike Pence. So, <laughs> let's be real here. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Gross. I can't. Tell me things that are making you less depressed these days. I really enjoyed, there's a new web series called Bad Ally that just dropped. Um, have you heard about this? Or no, what's this? Bad Ally? Um, it is uh, the story of a friendship between a white trans woman and a black woman. And it's basically like a very funny, but also what I have to imagine is pretty close to home for people who share their experiences a story about like their daily lives and the, and like the kind of microaggressions they experience and like the humor at the heart of their friendship and the, only the first episode is out so far but I love it so much and I'm really hoping that like as we see more web series become a pipeline to bigger like paid major TV projects that this is something that will get some attention and get some pickup because I love their friend dynamic it is very funny. It's very cute. I love how they handle the kind of like interaction between digital communication with your friend and like the, like the IRL world that you were in. It is bringing me some joy. That's awesome. Um, what is bringing me joy? The Notorious RBG documentary that is out. I'm in it for like 30 seconds, but truly, oh my god, you do, don't go see it for so that. good. See it for how amazing Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. I like cried like multiple times during this documentary and she's an icon. We already know this. Thank you. Multiple forms of media for just giving us the full picture on somebody's life. I, I love watching documentaries. This documentary is no exception. And you know, RBG is, she has done a lot for us. She has done a lot for us and over like decades of just like dedicating her career and her practice and her life really for justice. It's, it's just, it is a wonder to behold. So I'm really loving that. Um, I'm loving the entire country of Australia that I just got back <laughs> from. I like truly fell in love with Australia. It's, and the joke is that like, I had never been to Australia before. And frankly, when it comes to like People abroad that I believe are problematic, Australians have always been very high on that list for me. The tourists that you meet that you're just like, I can't handle this. 
or the people in America that you meet. Like we have, there's so many secret Australians in in the U.S. because of those like 9/11 visas that George Bush gave them. Do you remember this? <laughs> God, it feels like a li- it was a lifetime. It ago, was a I lifetime guess. ago. But whenever people are like, why are there so many Australians in our media? You know, like you'll always be watching MSNBC or something, and an Australian accent will pop out, and you're like, you don't even go here. Like, why are you defending this? And it's because George Bush. After 9-11, Australia was the only real country with a real army that wanted to go to war with us. It was like all these other like Vanuatu, Togo, like, you know, these people don't bring anything to the table. But like Australia was the like real deal army. And so they got rewarded with like all these green cards. And that's why there's so many of them here. And also, uh, I submit to you, it's why there's an avocado toast invasion in the United States. People from L.A. think that they made this happen. No, no. Breakfast no, no, culture. San Francisco. San Francisco thinks <sighs> they made it happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> Breakfast culture is an Australia import to America, courtesy the 9-11 visas. But anyway, all of this to say, Australia, why do you send us your worst and keep the best over there? I loved it. Um, met so many cool ladies, did so many cool things. To be clear, I spend most of my time in Sydney, so I'm excited to like go back and visit more. But I just haven't fallen in love with a new city in a long time. And it was like very cool. It was very cool. And it was really fun. And uh, I like bought a million dollars worth of Australian books at the bookstore. Like I got so bamboozled at bookstores because, you you know, I'm not a format fetishist. So the fact that I like bought paper books is like huge. And most of them were fiction and and so I'm so proud of you. I know. <laughs> I'm so like so I feel proud. like my book picks for the rest of the year will be like Australia fiction picks. And so far, so far I'm like very very happy. Before I went to Australia, I knew very few things about Australia. Muriel's wedding was like it's like a favorite movie in the So Family household. Dingo Amy baby lady and then I think that's like wow. it. That's like literally like I did not, you know, and and like everything Baz Luhrmann has tried to like push down our throats. Like when I say that I was truly ignorant about this like vast country in the british commonwealth like it's it's it kind of like blows my mind how little i knew about it i had a good time so i'll be going back oh my god so speaking of uh i have a i have a fiction pick for you um which uh is not is not brand brand new it's fairly recently published in the united states but it's called the power by naomi alderman have you heard of this book it's literally on my nightstand (gasps) <gasps> okay, well, I will hit you with the with the like two line synopsis, which is that uh, teen girls begin to experience the fact that they can essentially shoot electrical power out of their fingertips and harness and use electrical power. Then like older women discover that they also have this latent within them and then like how it basically upends society to realize that women are powerful in this like really concrete way. I'm like only halfway through it. I'm trying to read it slowly because it is so refreshing because I mean, speaking of like under his eye yet again, so much speculative fiction or like sci-fi when it comes to gender that I have read in the past has been pretty dystopian, like about horrible things that are happening to women. And I got to say that like it has been very important and healing for me to like read the news and then open this book, which is about a a world in which that sci-fi scenario involves women coming into this like huge new power. Um, I was mostly excited to read it because also there's a Nigerian kid in this book. So I like it when YA is like expansive that way. Oh my God. Is this YA? I don't even know. (laughs) I mean, I think it's YA. It's like all children. It's not. 
Okay, never mind. Um, I love a speculative I mean, it, fiction then. How about that? Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's like there are adults, there are teens, there are like, yeah, the story does begin with teen girls, but right. like it I haven't cracked is- it open yet. It's on the nightstand and now I'm very excited about it. Well, listen, so like if if after all of our like dystopian abortion news, you want a corrective, like this this book is helping, helping me. <laughs> That is making me happy. Okay, I'm excited for our next book episode now because we're going to talk about it. The last Naomi Alderman that I read, The Lessons, is like, that's the book that I love. So I am super excited to read this one. Look at you. See, you read fiction. I don't even know what you're lying about. Every (laughs) once in a while. It just doesn't have the same effect on me as anything, you know, in the Harvard Book Club book club <laughs> oh my the god harvard business review book club Lol. i mean that only exists that only exists in my hand i um, would argue you can learn a lot about management from teen girls who shoot power from their fingertips <laughs> you know teen girls truly are an inspiration somebody in my <laughs> life was talking shit about sephora points recently and i was like first of all sephora teaches all young girls the sephora return policy teaches young girls everything they need to know about money and scamming so like respect <laughs> respect but also like young girls truly like recently have been a huge source of inspiration all over again for me so support teen girls that is a perfect note to end on okay boo boo i'll catch you on the flip side see we're not hey girls we're boo and boo boo you can find us many places on the internet on our website callyourgirlfriend.com you can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or an apple podcast where we'd love it if you left us a review you can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Hey, boo-boo, hey. I will see you on the internet. (laughs) 